Welcome to the Agent of Wealth podcast with Mark Boudis from Boudis Financial. In this podcast, Mark helps guide you towards financial freedom, ensure you never run out of money, and create a balance in life that prioritizes what is most important to you. Join us for this journey as Mark draws from years of expertise and guest experts to solve the multiple wealth building challenges involved in your financial life. Welcome back to the Agent of Wealth. This is your host, Mark Bowdis. On today's show, we're going to talk about how to analyze your tax return to try to uncover planning opportunities to bring tax alpha and to be tax efficient. Taxes cut across almost everything we do financially. The investments in your portfolio all have different tax consequences depending on the dividends, interest, or capital gains that they generate. If you're retired and are drawing down on your assets, the taxes you owe may be different depending upon what strategy you use. There are tax beneficial ways to save for college and retirement, and the same goes for leaving money to your heirs, whether it's through gifting or estate planning. Everyone wants to be tax efficient, but they're not sure what to do. The typical annual tax return prep flow that most people embark on, it doesn't really lend itself to being strategic or efficient with your taxes. Usually someone pulls together all their documents in February, March, and sends them to their CPA. Their CPA generates their tax return, which gets filed by April 15th. Although this year I'm seeing a lot more people go on extension. They don't think about taxes again until next year when they repeat the process. And even if they did do some strategizing or, or, uh, try and be efficient in February, March by taking some actions, when they pull everything together, a lot of the tax deadlines to do something that was tax efficient were the previous December 31st. Tax planning should be, it should be a year long activity. And the best time to get started is right after you file your tax return, which just so happens to be now. Your tax return has a lot of info on it. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about the important things your tax return can tell you and what potential planning opportunities can arise from it. You know, and we'll go through this through the lens of a tax report that we produce. So first, you want a summary of everything that's going on tax-wise with your situation. The 1040 turn is complex depending upon how many schedules you have to file. And the first thing you want to do is you want to understand some high-level info about what went on the previous year with your income and the taxes that you paid and obviously overall your financial situation. You want to know what was the total income you earned last year. You may be surprised how many people don't even know how much they earned. And it's not that easy if you have different investment assets, different sources of business income, rental property. You also want to see what deductions and credits did you have, were you able to take advantage of? What was the total tax that you paid? What was your average tax rate and your marginal tax rate? So these are two different things. The average tax rate is average amount of tax that you paid for all of your income. And the marginal tax rate is tax that you would pay on any additional income that you, that you earn. You want to know, did you have any carry forward losses with your investments, any dividends, interest, or capital gains that your investments kicked off? So we'll dive a little bit into more detail in each of these areas. The first one we're going to talk about is marginal tax rate. If you're going to manage your tax brackets efficiently, so this is one of the things that we really recommend that you do is really look in and understand what tax bracket you're in, how much income do you have to fill up that tax bracket, and what's the next tax bracket up, and what's the next tax bracket down. So to do this, you have to know your marginal tax rate, which is, like I mentioned, it's the, the rate that the next dollar of income will be taxed at. Once you know that, you can obviously see how much additional income you can have without bumping yourself up into the next tax bracket. 
So one planning opportunity where this comes into play is Roth conversions. And just to give you an example, let's say someone's in a 12% marginal tax bracket and they have, let's just say, $46,000 of income. So they would have an additional $32,000 of additional taxable income before they hit the next tax bracket, which in this case is the next tax bracket is 22%. So if you have an IRA that has pre-tax money in it, you can pay the tax now and convert some of it to the Roth while paying tax at that 12% tax bracket. Like I mentioned that you can convert up to 32,000 and still pay all that 32,000 at the 12% tax bracket without bumping up 10 full percentage points to a 22% bracket. The benefit of doing this is, right, you'll pay the tax now, but once it's converted to a Roth, you don't have to pay taxes on it again as long as it's used for retirement. So if you look at the overall tax brackets, they go from 10, 12, 22, 24%, 32%, 35%, 37%. So you'll see there are big jumps from 12 to 22% and from 24 to 32%. Those are the two biggest jumps uh, that are out there. So if you're in either the 12 or 24% bracket, it's definitely uh, worth looking into whether a Roth conversion makes sense. However, even if you're in the top bracket of 37%, a Roth conversion may still make sense now if you think tax brackets are going to be higher in the future, or if you think that you will be in a higher tax bracket in the future relative to where you are now. It's something that no one knows, but there is a chance that tax brackets will be higher in the future, especially if you look at two things. One, historical tax brackets have almost always been higher than what they are now. And two, if you look at just kind of overall the state of affairs, you know, our government has been spending a lot of money. They're going to be looking for additional revenues. So the decision to convert to a Roth, it's very dependent on your personal situation, but at least it makes sense to analyze it. And then sometimes also, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to convert all of your pre-tax money into Roth, but sometimes a good strategy is to hedge and have some Roth, some pre-tax. That way, you take some of the unknowns, which are the tax brackets in the future, out but also, you know, adding money uh, in the pre-tax way or in the traditional way, you do get a tax benefit every year. So again, it just lends itself, work with someone or analyze it yourself and look at the tax brackets and make that decision on, does it make sense to try and go down to a lower tax bracket or fill up the current tax bracket that you're in without paying any uh, tax at a higher tax rate? Okay, next, we want to look at uh, whether you're itemizing or taking the standard deduction. So in 2017, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, it was passed, and the standard deduction was nearly doubled in size. So a lot less people now are itemizing on their tax return and are just taking the standard deduction. So in 2022, if you're single, the standard deduction is $12,950. And if you're married, the deduction is $25,900. So some examples of what you could itemize or what itemized deductions are. One is the amount you paid for state and local income taxes, real estate or personal property taxes, mortgage interest, disaster losses, or gifts to charity. And the way that you would make that decision on whether to itemize or take the standard deduction is if you add up all your eligible itemized deductions and they're less than what your standard deduction would be, you would just take the standard deduction. However, there's a strategy involved that coincides with charitable giving called bunching your deductions. The result of this is that it may make sense to take the standard deduction one year and itemize the next year and continue this alternating of standard deduction one year and itemizing the following year. So let's look at an, at an example for this. Let's say that a married couple has itemized deductions of $25,000 per year 
of which 10,000 of those are charitable giving. Their 25,000 vitamized deductions are less than the 25,900 standard deduction amount. So for them, it just makes sense to take the standard deduction. But instead of giving charitably 10,000 each year, if they doubled it up one year to give 20,000, and then the next year they skipped it and gave zero, they would be able to itemize the year that they made the $20,000 gifts and have itemized deductions of 35000 and then take the standard deduction the next year. So they're still giving away the same amount of money that they were, but every other year they get an extra $10,000 of deductions that they're able to, to take. Okay, another area to look at is investment income. And this really what you want to do here is make sure your portfolio is constructed properly. So different types of income that your investments generate are treated differently for tax purposes. And you want to know how your investments are being taxed and if there's any way to alter it to be more tax efficient. So let me just define a couple of the different ways that your income is taxed. First, one thing you have is qualified dividends. These are, let's say, a stock kicks off or sends you a dividend if it is considered qualified. Uh, if your taxable income falls below 41675 if you're single or 83350 if you're married, you don't have to pay tax on any qualified dividends you receive. If your taxable income falls between 41000 and 459000 if you're single or 83517 if you're married, you pay a 15% tax on those qualified dividends. If you're over those limits, you pay 20% tax on the dividends. Also, some companies kick off what's called non-qualified dividends. The dividends are non-qualified. You have to pay tax on them as if they were ordinary income. So that's those tax brackets that we were talking about just before. Most bond interest that you received is taxed as ordinary income. However, there are certain types of bonds like municipal bonds that may be tax exempt. So you have to look at the yield that they're or the interest that they're producing and calculate that if it is tax exempt, what does that convert to or correlate to on a bond that you would have to pay tax on. And it's not just income that you have to be concerned at. You want to look at any capital gains or losses that your investments kick off. So capital gains can be classified as either long or short term. If they're long term, which means the investment was held longer than a year, they're taxed the same way qualified dividends are. If they're short term capital gains, they're again, they're taxed as ordinary income. So let me just give a quick example of a very inefficient type of investment strategy and then how another one where someone can be tax efficient when it comes to gains and losses. So some people own mutual funds in their portfolio, and the way a mutual fund works, and especially if it's an active type of mutual fund, there's a fund manager who he's buying and selling day to day. And each time he buys and sells, or actually each time he sells, there is either a capital gain or capital loss associated with it. So you may see a large capital gain on your tax return, and wonder where it came from since you didn't do any buying and selling of the actual mutual fund. And it's really because the fund manager was making trades and any capital gains within the fund, they're passed down to the individual investor, whether or not they did anything with that with that fund. So that's why some people that do have mutual funds see a big tax bill. And usually at the end of the year in December is when these fund managers are making the capital gains distributions over to the, to the shareholders. Exchange traded funds or ETFs, they're usually more tax efficient than actively managed mutual funds. Um, because they're invested in an index, and usually there's less activity that goes on. But there's a way to take it one step further with being tax efficient, and that's by implementing a strategy called direct indexing. I'll use a simple strategy to illustrate how it works. So let's say you're going to invest in the S&P 500 ETF, which is just simply a fund that mimics what the stocks, the 500 stocks that are in the S&P 500. 
And, you know, there'll be periods where the ETF is down in value, like we're seeing to the start of 2022. But over a longer period of time, the ETF's price per share will probably be more than what you paid for it. So if you don't want to have a capital gain and owe taxes, you'll be locked into keeping that fund and won't be able to, to sell it. I mean, you will be able to sell it, but you'd, you'd accrue capital gains tax if you do. However, instead of investing in just one fund or one ETF, if you invested in the underlying 500 stocks that make up the S&P 500, even if the overall S&P 500 goes up over that period of time, inevitably, not all 500 stocks will increase in unison. So you'll be able to sell the ones that have gone down and do what's called harvesting a tax loss. So it's actually the the opposite. Instead of uh, having a capital gain, you'll be able to take a deduction on this Uh, on your tax return. So by utilizing this, you'll have the same return as if you invested directly in ETF, the same amount of risk as investing directly in the ETF. However, you'll be more efficient on your taxes. So one of the things that I mentioned about harvesting a tax loss, you're able to take up to a $3,000 capital loss on your tax return. And if you do have more than $3,000 of losses, you can carry those losses forward to future years. The losses that you harvest can offset any capital gains that you may have with other assets. And the other benefit of, of direct indexing is you get to control what gets bought or sold. You don't, you're not at the mercy of this fund manager who you have no idea what, or no one has no idea what he's actually doing. And I, I gave the example of the S&P 500, but direct indexing can actually be used by almost any like investment strategy that you can, you can think of. So the, there's other reasons, you know, we went over marginal tax rates, Roth conversions, standard versus itemized deductions, and how to be efficient with your investment income. There are a few reasons why you should be reviewing your tax returns. Some of the other ones include things like IRMA surcharges. So IRMA is an extra surcharge based on income, which is added to your Medicare premiums. And these charges can be sneaky, so you want to see if there's ways to plan around them. There's also something called the net investment income tax, which is an additional tax for individuals who have a modified adjusted gross income or MAGI over 200000 or if you're married, gross income is over 250000 So investment income over this limit, it's taxed at a 3.8%. This one's often a surprise to, to people. There's also the qualified business income deduction, which is the acronym's QBI. So this is another thing from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, which includes a 20% tax deduction for pass-through businesses. And it's subject to several requirements, so you want to do make sure that you're eligible for it. And I guess you can really equate this to like the standard deduction for a business. So all small business owners should be aware of this one. And then the other thing you want to know are phase-outs. I think there are over 50 tax credits that are available, but they're subject to a variety of income phase-outs. So you want to review your credits and deductions and really to ensure that you're not missing out on anything or if there are any planning opportunities, if you are in that phase out range and you may be able to take advantage of partial credit or deduction. So knowing your tax return can go a long way in identifying planning opportunities that otherwise might not come up. If you'd like help in analyzing your return, feel free. You can schedule a call with me at boutusfinancial.com slash call. Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Boutis Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. 
Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning.